Welcome to the Quarter Life Panic Podcast. Each week, my friend Alex Spradlin and myself, Patrick McClure, tackle today's issues facing young, politically active professionals. You can find us on SoundCloud, Quarter Life Panic, and on iTunes. Leave a comment, share to your friends, and give us a like. Enjoy the conversation. I was trying to catch... Uh... I was trying to catch this this interview between um, Joe Rogan and Jordan Peterson. Um, mm, doesn't ring a bell, but that doesn't mean I don't know him. Yeah, he's. I guess is a. I guess it's a good jumping off point uh, to kind of start everything out. Um, so I'm not too familiar with Jordan Peterson. Um, and so Jordan, hold on, let me look him up real yeah. quick while you're, I'm listening. No problem. Um, so anyways, I, I started to, you know, Jordan who? Peterson. Jordan who? Peterson. P-E-T-E-R-S-O-N. Um, professor of psychology at the University of Toronto. Um, so, oh, yes, yes, yes. I do know this guy. Okay. So do you... You know him a little more than I do, and I, I just caught the, the the beginning of it. Um, get, can you give me a rundown a little bit of kind of like, I guess what he has said? Do you know any types of quotes or anything that he said? I know he's and like he's pro like free speech and anti political correctness, but um, do you know particularly like things that he said to really bring upon like he gets protested. Um, so essentially, gosh, he's, uh, he's a really crisp version of, I would say Bill Maher and Milo Giannopoulos. He, yeah, but from a, but from a cent, almost a centered, logical utilitarian, listen, live by your rules please just don't do anything obscene and you know, like don't break anything. If you do buy insurance or pay for it like that, that is his overall, I would say his shtick. Uh, you know, he, and he strays depending on the topic, Mm -hmm. you know, anything from war to workers rights, like, and like you said, um, he, he has a lot of influence from George Orwell. Um, but also a lot of influence from, you know, Machiavelli, um, Gosh, hardcore conservatives from, you know, some of the deep south, but it wasn't necessarily about slavery. It was just overall, you know, states' rights, freedom, all that sort of stuff. So it's a, it's a mix. Mm-hmm. Um, but he he's uh, recently quotes. I'm not sure, um, but but in the last couple of years, he's been a huge advocate in where we're going with automation, jobs. Just not, you know, we're becoming an automated society. So there's going to be you know the automated income uh through taxation or robotic goods that sort of stuff so okay gotcha. um i think that's normally where he situates at least that i observe him speaking and grabbing attention but because mm-hmm. i i just i caught the so i caught the beginning of him and i'm finding this interesting um as i'm getting older and having you know a lot of more free time just to listen to different people talk that i've been trying to venture out um and and he can kind of in this his his situation that I go I'll go into in a little bit I'm um, kind of branch out to something that I I wanted to talk about a little bit last week last couple of weeks when we couldn't record um because of you know me doing new job and life craziness and stuff like that um well I've had a lot going on too it just yeah. worked out that it lined <laughs> up with yours yeah it's I mean we were both like running insane right now day jobs 
And I think we're both working at restaurants on the weekend yep. at the same time. Part-time stuff. Yeah, part-time stuff, full-time stuff. It's just we're trying to at least get sit down like one day a week to record, and it's like just not happening sometimes. That's uh, right. It, it uh, so he um, he. I guess, you know, I, I've seen some of, now he's in Canada, you know, Canada's always going to be different, but he's like big against, in Canada, there's this thing with social sciences. Um, are you f- familiar with the Z and Zer, um, instructed words for like gender, gender unitarian, unitarianism or gender fluidity like you can say she or he you know what i mean there's these yeah the the gender non-binary um i guess designations yeah what you have to put them yeah and and, in canada in colleges if you're a professor you have to use them um in any uncertain situation really yeah uh, in the social sciences it's um and I have my opinions on it. Oh, so just social sciences. So if I'm in engineering, then no. I I think if there is that that's what I've read of it is basically you know if there's a, a clinical definition to it where you have to use male or female, um, mm-hmm. then you can use male or female. Uh, or, or if someone clearly recognizes as a, um, it's it's when. It's such a weird word. And this is what I think some of the issue is with, with political correctness, um, where it gets kind of hazy, where if I say Benjamin Franklin, he, I don't have to say Z, um, because we know he's a dude. Well, we don't know. You know for I, It's history. We don't know that. But at the same time, we know it was a he. So you're going to use the word he. But if you're going to say, you know, a future president or an individual, um, you know, Zay or Z or whatever it is is going to do this action. That's where it comes into the social sciences. So you can't assume gender into a hypothetical situation, um, and that's where a lot of this has has come oh in. My yeah, goodness. Yeah, um, you know, it's where a lot of this has come in. It makes things a little more difficult. On one end, you know, it does. There is parts of social sciences where this type of ideology has been, um, where it has helped, um, but it's mainly in fields that have been strictly and almost purely male dominated for a century, and it's really in like um, like zoology. Um, they're not going to use the Z in there, but the idea of gender of um, Gender binary studies has helped. Um, there's a well, see, but those are controlled settings ex- where exactly, and that they're controlled- it, where that is entirely uh, practical uh, and pragmatic. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that's that's kind of um, that's that's part of it. And there's a I can't think of his name. He's fantastic. He's a zoologist. He was on the Cracked podcast a while ago. Um, mm. I'm going to find his name for like next episode, but he basically went to, um, this is funny. Um, so there's a general, like, uh, there's a general social, literally a social science accepted, traditionally accepted hypothesis that, that did exist, that the female orgasm is a myth. Um, and okay. because they said they never, because they said they never saw it in nature. Well, 
uh, about 20. Oh, God. Yeah. It, get, it gets worse. Um, mm-hmm. 20 years ago, there were no female zoologists. There were no there were no women that are out in the field who were taking notes for what I should say thirty years ago at this point, and then when we introduced a lot of women to zoology, I mean it's a growing field. The natural sciences are such a growing field for women that it's amazing. Yeah, it's one of the uh, bucking the trend in the STEM area. Yeah, it is, and, and it's um, like I it's. it's I think it's awesome, and I think it's been well. I think it's one of the areas that's been needed the most. Well, but also, I think that deserves context, though. Yeah. Whereas, I think the preposition of gosh, especially with these binary, non-binary, having a the amount of stress just on the preposition of each conversation or engagement. Oh, yeah. That, let alone, I don't see how we will survive as a species if that is like the <laughs> the mainstay of you know everyday society. Secondly, though, with the uh, with regard to the zoology, well. Let's think about it. I mean, even now, but I mean, all outside of the continental U.S. or you know any of the other developed areas of Europe, you know, it, those are third world countries, colonial countries like that. You know, that that wasn't a place for women. Mm-hmm. Not to be sexist, but you know, like that that ideally that was not where women were going to do their career. So no, and it's you know it, it's still cultural. There's still cultural patriarchy. No, everywhere. Oh, I would imagine. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it's uh, like um, the new NASA movie, um, Hidden Figures. Hidden Figures, and I had same to, thing. I had to explain. It wasn't my wife. Someone else. I think it was my mother-in-law or my mom. Even she didn't. She didn't understand why that was such a big movie, and I said, "Mom, uh, like more than half of the math." So all of the moon landing basically was done manually, like mm-hmm. manually. And it had to be done, and the math had to be so precise. Like, it's like driving a big rig into a compact car space. Like, that, like, level, in, rever- in reverse. Like, reversing a big rig into a compact car space, like, that would be child's play to, like, the level of difficulty it was. And the majority of the math and the planning was done by three African American women in the late fifties and sixties. Yeah, versus entire teams. Yeah, and and like that's like that's insane, and it's and it's never and it's really never been known. Like we don't know who these people are, um, and that's really why this movie is huge. Um, but this this even goes into what I was kind of talking about with Jordan Peterson, um, and. Kind of as a segue into something I want to talk about. There's, so Jordan Peterson, you know, he's had this discussion about um, – he's had this discussion about, you know, these um, these really, you know, strong, heavy-handed and, – and on both sides. I, I don't think that you can say political correctness is a left problem without, you know, also acknowledging that, like you – know, I, I had it the other day. Um, I wouldn't say on the right, but this is an example of something that would happen for a more conservative crowd. Um, like Russia just labeled Jehovah's Witness as a terrorist organization. Mm-hmm. Um, and I work with a lot of Jehovah's Witnesses. Now, what comes to my mind, but I can't say out loud, is, man, they must hate door-to-door marketers. Um, but I can't. Oh, but I can't say that. 
And this is in like, and this is kind of the political correctness that happens on the other side is, you know, you really can't, you can't make fun of religion to people who are highly religious. You can't Mm -hmm. make fun of equality to people who have a strong belief about equality. And we can't have these open conversations about it. But for Jordan Peterson, for the first time in his entire academic career, and he is a very, uh, you know, very accredited, tenured, um, you know, highly sought after professor at the University of Toronto, uh, you know, an actual university that I think is very underrated and produces a lot of great health sciences and social sciences types of things. I oh, see. I've never thought it was underrated. I thought Toronto was highly rated. Well, you're also how far off from it? Mm, true. Yeah. You're, yeah, you're, uh, that's like your next door neighbor. So for me from like Washington DC area growing up, you know, you don't really hear that much from, Canada, correct. Um, I, but he's got denied funding for the first time in his academic career, um, and so and he thinks it's really? di- yeah, and he think it's direct. He thinks it's directly related to you know political correctness, um, or you know I wouldn't say political correctness, but his um, he refuses. Well, but see, he's extremely forensic in how he uh, presents arguments and just general diagnosis on anything from you know comprehensive architecture and belief to the soviet gulag holocaust pragmatism uh the origin of evil i mean he does a ton of um i guess poking in a lot of people's directions and they probably don't like it yeah and and that's that's the thing and i think he uh, he does at times because he was poking in a lot of directions he also sometimes he does have the, I will say, the only, only criticism of him. Um, you know, there are things that I will um, disagree with him on some things, but there's one thing where I'll say, like, and we all do it, is he's still a blanket statementer, um, and he likes to accredit the majority of, like, left-wing people to the, some of these ideas of, like, Soviet things. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, and, and that part of it, I can see, eh, you know, I kind of, you know, distance myself with him but it still would be like i still don't think this guy should have like all his funding removed because of it um and no because he presents extremely valid and you know uncomfortable but necessary questions it is and he this is an example of something kind of um larger happening in um in media in in where a lot of companies and organizations that are traditionally providing money and exposure for people with ideas like this or people with large fan bases. Um, they are, mm-hmm. they are, I don't know why they're doing it. And they're trying to go to like safer, you know what I mean? Like not, um, they want more refined. They want safer. You know, they're going to give someone who's going to, play up to these masses, not even the masses. I don't, I never think it's the masses, but play up to the vocal side of people um, and, or what they assume is going to be there. Um, there's been, I mean, you look on YouTube. YouTube just, YouTube, there's a bunch of crap going on right now because they just added their restricted mode. And, you know, all these creators and people who had all these original ideas had all of their ad revenue taken away from them. That, you know, before... Advertisers didn't have an issue with most of them. You know what I mean? They had an issue with, you know, a select few. But you have this big blanket statement of, all right, if you're saying these things, 
all your ad revenue is taken away. Um, oh, I see. So they're the people that are critical of, or normally where they would be critical of blanket statements, they're ads now being used in reverse. Yes, yes, it is. So um, you have you know you have people that are doing that, and then it's just it's it's a very strange atmosphere we have right now um, in you know the media space, but also in the freedom of speech space. Um, it's becoming harder now than ever to, again, break, um, break your opinion into the stratosphere of, and get that out. So it's like, you know, we've, over the last eight years, we had this wild, wild west where anybody could say anything, kind of. You know, there was this, this idea of political correctness, but you would, you'd still be able to find your market. And that is now, I wouldn't say it's going away. Um, but it's becoming much more difficult. There's much more barriers to entry because you have this big kind of corporate and government overpression that says, all right, but this is how we want to control the dialogue because we want people to say this certain thing. Um, and companies are saying it from, you know, we want them to switch over to this ideology or this, um, or, you know, this whole branding package that we're offering to them and not this independent yeah. creator thing you're doing over there. Um, and it's, it's, it's causing a lot of, you know, disruption and people aren't liking it. Um, one other example I wanted to bring up kind of jumping off to this, and this is kind of goes back into fun stuff. Um, so you and I are friends of Philip DeFranco. You know, Philip DeFranco. Um, mm -hmm. um, you didn't watch as much of his offshoot channels that he made back in the day, Source Fed or Source Fed Nerd. No, I was a latecomer to his fan base. Gotcha. So uh, he had Philip. Um, he's an independent creator now. He's no longer under the Discovery or Group Nine tag now. Um, he's creating his own. Um, tournament I think thing. we covered that. Yeah, you you had gone into detailing how he just had a breakthrough with content creation and some past relationships um, yeah. that he somehow met with and, and grouped up with. Yeah, he had you know. He went through, he, he released from Discovery. Well, in the meantime, so back in the day, uh, Philip saw the natural evolution of his, of his program. This is always an extension of the natural evolution of his own ideology, of his own mm -hmm. idea. Um, but he, you know, he did it once before. He created SourceFed. He got money from YouTube. Um, you know, it was a YouTube creator's idea, and eventually Discovery when he you know, sold the brand to Discovery and created SourceFed. Eventually, SourceFed was completely taken over um, by SourceFed people and under the Discovery banner, and he had nothing to do with it. Um, but before you know, he released that, there was SourceFed and there was SourceFed Nerd. SourceFed being the news channel, kind of comedy-related, um, had a rotating host cast. SourceFed Nerd, same thing, um, rotating rotating uh, cast of hosts, but it was more solid and complete and it had some longer staples of people, but it also heavily played to, you know, fan favorites, you know, people that were known in the fan community, um, and got big names and they did great reporting on pop culture, comics and movies and everything like that. Um, about a couple months ago, actually right before we kicked this off, um, uh, Discovery sold all of its properties to uh, Group 9. Group 9 owns Now This Media and Thrillist. Um, 
And they, out of the blue, SourceFed was going through some changes and some things, but SourceFed Nerd was more powerful than ever. Like, they were growing. They had great, great structure. Um, but then they just canceled it, all of it, both channels, million viewers each, you know, million subscribers each on all of them, regular viewer base, canceled both. Why? Don't know. It's it's so it was so out of the blue. I think it has to do with New York and Los Angeles because uh, now this and now this and Thrillist are a New York based company, and SourceFed's a Los Angeles based company. I think that had part to do with it, but you know, I we don't know. I think and they were their whole idea is they're switching formats and they're switching ideas. Here's the kicker: they fire everyone except for some some internal people, producers and video editors. They might bring them. They brought some of them on to the um the so just the inner circle essentially kind of but they were just people that um had good technical skills they could bring over um, mm, so the guts the guts basically and a lot of and with a couple leaders it wasn't even leaders it's just people they needed specific skills from you yeah okay I mean? so project managers essentially graphic designer film editing yeah, things okay. like that things they needed more legwork for well, here's, here's what just happened, and this is kind of, you know, you have this big brother media thing trying to, and, and now this is being known for trying to push, they are a, a public left-leaning news site. Like, that's their ideology. They're going mm-hmm. to be a digital left-leaning news site that regularly posts to Facebook and YouTube and creates videos and creates content in that way. Um, the what they did though, so you have SourceFed the channel news canceled, everybody's gone. Um, but then the SourceFed nerd, SourceFed nerd had a stable base, like regular base. People depended on them. They had fantastic reporting. They had amazing hosts. Like so, on the Young Turks level. Um. So, uh. There is one host, Bree, who actually was on um, Pop Trigger or whatever it's called in the Young Turks channel. Um, mm. But their their format was she was actually a host for SourceFed and did some nerd back in the day. But oh, that's cool. It, it, there's some crossover there, and you know, again, their hosts are super talented. But the thing about SourceFed Nerd was their format worked perfectly for. Um, their base exactly and they had hosts that grew from the bottom up like their main host was five years ago if you look at videos of him he was a 19 year old who dressed like doctor who and went to you know the avns dressed as doctor who with this weird little fat mexican guy named steve zaragoza who's an absolute genius like crazy weird genius in like it was the nerdiest thing you could watch, but it was amazing content. And now he's this fully blown host that had produces great content, writes his own content, um, and is really involved in the nerd culture. Well, they fire all of them. All of them are fired. All of them are gone. This past week, they same channel on YouTube, SourceFed Nerd. They reopted. They, they co-opt it. They take over it. Now this does. They rename it to Now This Nerd. And the first video they post is the is essentially uh, a 15-minute culmination of your stepdad explaining how he's still the cool guy. 
And then they said, I would be really salty. It was super salty. And they said, we're going to do the same thing a source fed nerd does. And trust me, guys, I'm a nerd. You know, I like comic books. I like, I like cartoons. I like movies. And I, and all the hosts freaked out and I'm sitting here. I'm like, if you're doing the same fucking thing, why did you fire everybody? Like, what? Why did you you fired and then you took a million, a million subscriber base and just tried to push out your own channel? It went from a million some subscribe subscribers to nine hundred and thirty thousand like overnight. It pissed off all the fans so much that they went and so if you look on every Twitter handle that is some sort of now this nerd, a fan has mm-hmm. taken it, and it's like f you now this nerd. Oh boy! And so, but there, but this is kind of this, um, the same of ideology where um, you have larger presences, haven't been the left or right, are trying to co find channels to co opt their own message and ideology and methods, um, while kind of screwing over the independent creator side of things, who could be just as popular. Um, just because one side of it has a bigger bank account. Um, and that, that's hmm, really that's where a it, shame. it is. It's really the shame. And it, it kind of makes, it kind of makes a lot of us like disappointed in what some of this has become. Um, but at the same time, I always, I get to laugh every time they post a video and I'm watching it and I'm, I'm disliking and just saying the comment of source fed nerd would have, would have reported on this better, which they instantly delete within three hours. Um, nice. So it's my own personal saltiness as a fan. Um, so yeah, that that's kind of what I've been thinking about this last week. They haven't banned you or anything yet. No, it's YouTube. They can't ban us. They, I mean, I thought. See, I thought a couple of those channels have now been able to report it with YouTube to where this is it. They're a, like a regressive, um, uh, or not? Oh gosh, what is the term that a suspicious suspicious character? Anyways, a character like a rogue person in concern or whatever, and I don't know, like damaging imagery. Yeah, I Uh, I thought that was one of the policies that YouTube was considering allowing for now this and among a you know a few other content channels. I haven't I haven't seen as much. I mean, they're (laughs) they have so much negative feedback that I don't think they could be able to do that. You know what I mean? They could justify it. Yeah. No, they they'd be reporting hundreds of people a post. Okay. I mean, it, and then it's YouTube. We would just get, I don't have anything on my account. I'll just get a new account and then uh, do it again. <laughs> oh, I gotta love botnets. It, it's great. It's great. Oh, man. Anyway, let's go on to things that actually matter. <laughs> so much has happened. We're, we cut this down to what you want to do 60 minutes? Yeah, I think we're going to cap it at 60. So much going on. So much has been going on. I know. Oh, uh, I guess maybe. I'm, a couple topics do we want to touch on or do we want to focus on one or two to set up for the next one? I'm going to hand it to you just so that you can, uh, like, what's the top of your mind right now? What do you want to talk about that's going on in the last, I guess, let's keep it to the last week. <laughs> so last week, um, how significant do you think the Comey issue is? Um, I think we discussed this a little bit. Um, I think... It's strange. I think that 
it's bad timing all the way around. Um, you know, in that being said, I don't know if this is specifically significant, except for we have to see. This could either be an insignificant side note um, to, you know, just a general failed presidency um, or a successful presidency. I don't know. Maybe he gets lucky. Um, or, you know, he is a mad genius, knows what he's doing. Or this is, you know, the the watershed moment of the day, of the the downfall. You know what I mean? See, pl- plot twist here. So I've been – based on contrib- contributors and segments for Bloomberg, BBC, Fox, and then a little bit of um, CNN with regards to business. And a majority of everybody besides the hardcore left is saying that he – like he is going by the uh, ethos and – basically chopping block that a ceo does that comes in he delegates he sees who drops the ball he has contingency plans and because especially with this attorney general uh comey you know recommend recommending with sessions that uh you know they'd fire comey uh it had too many markers of a you know a preconceived or you know premeditated um you know, plan. However, I mean, whether or not it was messy or the the timing of it, but they had all the markers of a plan. Mm-hmm. So, I, I mean, I don't think that he's getting uh, people are getting enough credit or giving enough credit or attention to the fact that he. I mean, this. I. It, more and more people are saying, "Listen, this makes sense. This is he is doing this to see where he's weak, where he needs to shape up, and and you know what other sort of." distractions he can throw his critics because that just works to his advantage and he and obviously he's using that yeah but there are people um my problem with it is though is sally yates um is her testimony in every i watched that at length i love sally yates now Oh my gosh, um, she she destroyed everybody. Absolutely, she. Well, she certainly took a playbook out of uh, Comey. Oh, hundred percent. She took a, she took the playbook out of Comey, but at the same time, like, so, and this is what's weird. So you have people who are who, you know. The, if we're saying he's cleaning house and people aren't going to play ball, it's going to be an ideological ball. But then you run into issues where you have Sally Yates who just says, I oppose things on purely constitutional grounds. I am a conservative. And here's why. And also, you know, I, oh, yeah, here's all these things I warned you about. Hey, you want to kick me out? Here's everything I've said to you over the past, you know, three months about these things. And I warned you about Michael Flynn. I warned you about this. You know, I've warned you. I warned you about Comey. And she certainly insulated herself. She did. And but also when she came up to questioning, she also came to play ball. Um, she came mm-hmm. and. Um, I, and here's one thing is if anybody ever calls Ted Cruz a constitutional scholar, um, his back and forth with Sally Yates. False. Yes, false. 
He is back and forth with Sally Ace, and he'd be played to that person a thousand times over as she, by the book, goes through the laws and explains law to him in Bats Back legally every word that he said. Oh, yeah, no, I, I listened to the whole exchange, and I was like, the, uh, a majority of the other speakers at that panel, um, well, they, it was substantive questions. Uh, from both sides, yeah. from aisle-wise. But no, as soon as he started speaking, the tone, his expression, I knew it was coming. And I knew that he is going to say something so false mm-hmm. when he regards the constitutional rights. And said every single time he said something, nope, nope, nope. And, and that's what I, I think um, when people say he's a constitutional scholar, I'm like, no, he's a professional. Nope. He's a professional debater. I'm like, yeah. he's good at he's good at bending words. I will give him that. I was like, the man is good at picking little words out of the Constitution and spinning them just like, you know, if, you know, the back in the day, the guy, I'm not going to say he condones this, but back in the day, those guys that spun uh, passages from the Bible support slavery, yep, that's the same type of person that he is. Um, he is willing to spin these little things into his own ideo- ideological proof, but then you have someone mm-hmm. like Sally Yates who's like, by the books, here's what the Constitution says. And it, and it pisses people off. Um, I, now, the thing is, is you know, he's running the American government like a business and cleaning house. But Yeah, it may not be as grand as I'm making it sound, but I'm just yeah. breaking down, you know, how I think about it. And, and yeah. personally, I don't think it's grand. It's sloppy but at least that's I think, the direction that he's coming from I, I, yeah. I don't think his opponents while they're being prepared I have noticed Democrats being prepared mm-hmm. for you know sessions of Congress um, panels etc committees they're not preparing and how to to actually then you know combat the issues or uh, you know react pro- progressively mm-hmm. and proactively so well, here's what's happening though and something I wanted to bring up about this that it's happening right now in the Democratic Party. So, you know, there are now two factions to the Democratic Party. Um, you have your traditionalists, um, you know, you, your people who are, you know, you know, party leaders. You know, you're, if you think about, like, back in the old days, you had your two sects of Tammany Hall. You had, you know, your Irish mob guys um, that were, you know, under boss tweed and then you had your you know your other sides your the italians the, the italians your orange um your orange irish and things like that who are more like no you know we got to get things done at the local level and stop being corrupt um and really take also well, i mean you have the so it's you know the chuck schumers the diane feinsteins and now the bernie sanders the elizabeth warrens your martin o'malley's and things like that mm-hmm. and that that's your other sect is you have this other sect that is um more more heavy-handed on um on kind of taking to task um income inequality and taking to cat to task blue collar rights um you know they're they're kind they're filing behind this Bernie Sanders idea of healthcare um which i always wanted to say like like people think that they're like well, they're trying to move us to a socialist single-payer format. And I'm like, every plan I've seen from the Democratic Party, even the most left-wing one, has just been to expand Medicare and open it up to the general public. Nothing to do with touching any of the insurance companies. And mm-hmm. in my mind, that is not that left-wing of an option. Like, 
That is no the the re- the reason that people throw their arms up is because it has a government tag. Yes, and it has a government, that's it. Yeah, and it has a government tag, and I'm like, but you could choose not to buy into it. But they're just saying, hey, we need to set up an independent company that is nonprofit, basically that um, that is a price control unit. It says like, hey, things shouldn't cost this much. That's their only. It's their only idea. But anyways, you have this. With this ideas and, and with these ideas and whatnot, there, um, this this group is, and you can kind of call you know compare them to the free for the Freedom Caucus in Congress. Um, mm-hmm. When you have um, Florida's a good a good example of a state um, where this is happening. Uh, New York, it's happening. Um, Arizona, it's happening. Pennsylvania, it's starting to happen. Um, although I think I have an opinion over exactly what's wrong with Pennsylvania right now and what Democrats need to do, but no one would be willing to do it. Um, but what, mm, what they're start- interesting, yeah. I, dude, Commonwealths are a freaking mess. I was gonna say, does it start <laughs> with the Commonwealth problem or? Oh, I could do I could do a whole three hour rant on how bad of a system the Commonwealth is about no one under- oh it's so bad. But here's a good example is let's is what's going on. So let's say that you're in you know, I lived in the town of, of Westview, just north of Pittsburgh, um, which is surrounded by Ross Township, Wexford, McCandless, um, Bellevue, um, and parts of Perry touch it. All these are independent townships, independent representatives. Let's say we're all voting on a health care bill, and whatever health care bill passes affects all of the citizens. But you know that in your one county over, 49% of that citizenry voted for a candidate. Yeah. Yeah, voted for a candidate that did not support this bill. And you know that more than half or half of the people that did vote for this, you know, don't support this bill as well. So, you know, 60, 70 percent of that population doesn't support it. But that person's still going to vote for this health bill. Then what Democrats are now doing is they're hosting town halls in those townships, in those areas, in those districts. So, you know, such and such Democrat um from district 59 is taking a you know a bike ride over to district 60 60 to the local high school and saying hey come talk to me i want to hear your opinions and i want to hear what's going on i want to hear what your issues are and host a town hall on it and so they're starting this progressive movement of look we're going to gather this information against you we're going to go right to your people when your people are familiar with us in this next election that comes around like we're gonna kick your ass at a local level. Everybody who is, um, you know, within five to ten percent of losing, like you have a hell of a battle ahead of you. And if you vote for these bills, you're going to have to answer. Like, it's you know, gonna come up, yeah. Exactly. Um, well, however, Trump is also he is actively. I mean, at what every I think seven or eight business days, he's out uh, on a plane doing a, a can, or some sort of rally for something. And that's that's nothing, I mean that's nothing new. I, Obama did the same thing basically. Um, yeah, it's it's something that's new with the presidency. Something you have to do. No, no, I understand that, but I think because he does it, I think 
I think that's going to work at least short term because he he already has a crowd favoritism in those areas. Mm-hmm. So he only has to kind of pick and choose regionally where he can just you know rile them up. Oh, and they're making plenty of mistakes to where he can do it. Oh yeah. Oh definitely. And this is where I um I I will say this the issue in a lot of these places that Democrats are not moving on is um with you know local government. And there are a lot of when I say local I mean like township level governments. Yeah, well, but see I think that's where a commonwealth state might actually benefit the Democrats because they can focus target those areas. Yep. And it actually makes a you know return on investment difference. The problem I, that they are that the Democrats have always had and they're continuing to have now is they're more focused on areas they don't have and not focused on making things better in the areas that they have where things aren't right. You know what I mean? Um, the- well, I think it's, I think it's compounded with that. And I mean, honestly, even listening in like the Detroit area for, um, you know, the democratic and liberal, um, perspectives, committee meetings, dinners, you know, events, they're not talking about what matters most to the people, regardless of, their you know uh status or position which is their bank account mm-hmm. and that's where i think they're missing the mark every time and it doesn't it doesn't matter to people at the end of the day if they're happy set or otherwise they need money to pay for things so yeah I, and this is the argument that i get in with people all the time when they're talking about jobs i'm like dude unemployment rates down like jobs exist they're there like we have jobs the problem is is none of them are paying enough um and, and yep and and that is that's the core issue. That's the core issue with I think a lot healthcare. People can't afford it. They don't have enough money to pay for it. That's it. Like um, you know, uh, wages have not risen with with production. Um, production, not productivity. There's a difference. And I and I actually think that the that productivity scaled analysis of our workplaces nowadays are 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 a huge. Um, red herring um because we're not supposed to be as you know a a evolved workforce is supposed to produce more with less work and but we are supposed to be compensated this is economic theory by what we produce not the effort put into produce not the time put in yeah exactly and and the, the actually the actual net worth of the product you know the product correct And it's just something. It's just strange to me um, that this isn't the. This isn't the. Hold up. Can you hear me? Did you lose me there? Oh. Can you hear me now? I can hear you. Okay. Um, yeah, I think he lost my my yeah my my response to you was uh, yeah it, it's about the actual net worth of the product, not the uh, you know the consumption of or yeah the consumption material put into making it. Yes, and that's what we're kind of missing. And I think a lot of um, even pro business Democrats are heavily missing this. Um, mm-hmm. Honestly, the only one has been hitting on it hard enough, you know, is Elizabeth Warren hits it hard every time she just wrote a whole book on it. Um, and Bernie touches it a little bit, but you know, as a party, I still think that Elizabeth Warren and Bernie are outliers in what the gen- what the norm is. You know what I mean? And if you're not in, well, it's not even what the norm is. It's just they're outliers in what it's going to take. 
yeah to get the to get those ideas those theories that influence to the you know the main stage yes and that's what and that's what needs to be focused on um it it's just it's difficult for them and so you have in you know going back in the news you have this healthcare bill that you know there is no there's no cbo analysis um there is there's so much ambiguity in the yeah i don't i don't understand how any of it's legal without a cbo measure i mean yeah in yeah it in the not a cbo measure and they shoehorned it and passed it so fast it's just everything's coming through for everything is coming through on you know from the trump administration with regards to health care bill as if they're trying to slide it in under our noses no i think what it is is that the insurance companies messed up so bad mm-hmm. in their calculations and the analysis of things that because Obamacare was it was great on the theory but not on the back end cogs and wheels that you know or the drivers and I think they're trying to save the insurance companies because Aetna pulled out of all exchanges tonight yeah well I don't and they're, I, they're trying I think to, it's that bad yeah now do you think because I look at profit reports and like in statements do you think any of these insurance companies are losing money over Obamacare or the profitability ratio I, I think that you know I think that they're losing and they have been losing really yes but they had a I mean you know they're, that, that's a lot, there's a lot of money there and they had guarantees for a majority of it but I think it was that much more so this new health care bill that's coming through, um, I just I don't I don't see a scenario that comes out where you know what do we get? I guess what is a hypothetical system or or society type system that we have to push where we can have a health care system that actually provides for us for basic goods without ripping our bank accounts apart? and where the insurance companies can survive, are we just going to have to accept at some point that insurance companies are going to have to, um, you know, maybe downsize and push some more services out to hospitals and things like that, that they're not going to have to do as much middleman work, and they're just going to have to be smaller companies, similar to overseas, basically? I don't know. I I think it's going. you're going to see some sort of big pharma medical tech and insurance merger that industry is somehow going to to take one of you know parts of each other and it's either going to be that hybrid of the two or you know just a new entity altogether mm-hmm. i mean i definitely see that there is um now this is gonna mf is would mf the rest of the industry that that there if there is a true merger between technology and insurance and healthcare to a point where um, you're paying for insurance provider, but you can also compare coverage. You can also pair actual prices of doctors and things in the area and services in the area um, where you actually know what you're paying for your healthcare when you go to places like, Hey, um, I go to a doctor and they said that I need this and they can give me, you know, a rundown of all the costs of all the doctors in the area and what services they provide and do analysis of what they cost in the long term. You know what I mean? That's one of the key things. 
is well and essentially i think it'll come down to you'll see regional clinics groups or you know even like medical camp small medical mm-hmm. campuses or large ones heck uh you walk in you have a you know as a preliminary diagnosis and they have a menu you choose from you want the you know um mammogram with x y and z tests and you just see it'll be like walking in mcdonald's yeah nice well this is um, yeah i'm i'm not against that as much um it's not gonna it's one of those things it's a program that's not going to cut anybody's jobs in the you know in our hospitals as much you know it's going to make them more efficient um i just i don't I see again with insurance companies that's a too big to a too big to fail type of situation. There's so much money in in infrastructure, legal infrastructure, physical infrastructure. I mean, then they have so many tentacles and so many other pies. It's I don't know. It's tough. It is, and and we really are like we we can't. You know, we're at a situation where I think people. Are, I think there's financial analysts looking at it like guys. We need to keep this up and running because if we don't, it's going to be 2008 all over again. I th- really think that I, now I don't know how it's going to affect the common consumer other than a bunch of people from health insurance companies and things losing their job. Um, maybe skyrocketing health care prices. I see like smaller clinics in low income areas closing down. Um, but I mean, that that is my fear about all of this. Um but at the same time, I mean, there's a part of me that says, like, look, you know, there is there's the debate of, you know, health insurance agencies can't trade across state lines. But if anybody who's had health insurance long enough or health insurance out of state, they know that there's only about five networks and they go across every single state. Um, you know, we can name Blue Cross, Cigna, etc. Um, and they go across every single state. And you can get some out-of-state coverage. You just have to be a network. So uh, this healthcare battle, I mean, we're going to have to see what's going on. But we're, I think we're going to end up doing this balancing act next 20 years of, you know, who's going to benefit this next four or five years, people or health insurance companies. So Yeah, they're going to try to hold out as long as they can. Yeah, they are. But at a certain point, you, I think – they're going to something's going to come up some disruptive technology i was going to say it's going to be tech and yeah. it's there it's going to be somebody with a noble a noble cause noble purpose maybe they've been scorned by insurance companies scorned by you know the obamacare you mm-hmm. know because some people did lose their policies yeah some people gained them you know whatever but it's going to be it's going to be somebody driven by that and they're going to have some either backing group you know a peter thiel type of person and they you know Everybody just wants to see the insurance companies die because everybody – that's what it's made out to be. They're, they are the, you know, um, the North Korea of healthcare. They are. And they are – you know what's funny is someone is – there's the argument of last couple of years of – or no, when Obamacare first came along, there was we don't want a single-payer system. We want a healthcare system that is purely American. And I'm like – these gigantic insurance companies. I never a, heard that narrative ever. That was a quote, and I can't figure out who had said it. I think I actually think Obama had said it. We were really we had we want a healthcare system that is purely American. And I and I'm oh, here boy. when I first hear it, I'm like, 
this whole system of these out of control uh, out of control insurance companies is a purely American health care system right there. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, that is a purely American thing. I was like, I think we might need to look outside of the box, guys. Um, it's yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't understand how the the J.P. Morgan's, uh, you know, or the the oil antitrust. I don't understand how that never came about for the insurance industry, the health insurance industry. No. How I don't understand how that is not a monopoly. That was something I wanted to discuss, and we'd have to probably take it for another episode, and I might need to kick off like next mm. week's episode on it. Of, um, I would be down for that because yeah, because I I did a lot of early uh, scribing as Obamacare was working through in my like senior undergrad days, mm-hmm. and I wrote extensively on that. And my like, there's this whole idea of you know, have we grown to an age where, um, the idea of and I guess this is a teaser for next episode. Have we grown to an age? where the idea of monopoly, you know, a monopoly has, you know, have we just deflated the term so much that we're unwilling to move on it? Um, you know what I mean? Like, I, so that it's not, we, we, we don't think it's that big of a deal. It's not a, um, it's not at the same level as it used to be. Whereas like now, if you're a terrorist, you know, um, you know, or the same nomen, you know, nomenclature associated with being a felon. Yes. Is that what you're getting at? Yes. Or, um, well, like, I guess using... Or it's, the, a, it's a board game. Using the, yes, using the, ter- using the terrorist analogy is kind of good, but it's kind of the opposite. Because 30, I'm doing math now, 40 years ago, um, I still think it's 2007, um, so I say 30, um, <laughs> 40 years ago, the term terrorist, if you actually used it in co- in coalition with who the terrorists were in the 70s and 80s, we think IRA, Irish Republican Army, mm-hmm. and they were. They were a terrorist organization. But we also used them almost hand-in-hand with Freedom Fighter. Um, and because we weren't the bad guys, let's just be straight. Like we weren't the bad guys in the yeah. situation. So, hey, they're uh, they're just a neutral party, and this is what they're looking for. We're, we kind of still use it. Let's talk about groups that we support in Syria. There are groups that sure. we support in Syria that are terrorist organizations, um, but but they're on our side, so they're not terrorists. Yeah. Um, where I think I was the opposite. Where in the seventies, sixties, fifties, forties the term monopoly wasn't, you know, it wasn't even a company that owned, you know, it was, there was a percentage tied to it legally. But, um, I even think that, you know, I think I did a, a quick search of like companies that are technically monopolies over top of industries and whatnot. Um, and it's like appalling at this point. Um, I think it's, oh, yeah. it's not even, it's people think it's like 90. I'm like, no, it's like 65% or something like that. Like something, not abysmally low that you have to own as a percentage of an industry without any like significant competitor that's made any significant gain on you in like the last five years and you're considered a monopoly in you know the the golden era of america nixon teared those companies apart you know yeah um oh i remember yeah nixon teared those companies apart um you know hell roosevelt um you know 
Roosevelt and Eisenhower, those two combined, um, well, Roosevelt also created the monopolies, but I could go into that as well. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but Eisenhower, like Mr. Like super Republican, like Republican, you know, if, if Reagan's Jesus, then fricking Eisenhower is God. Well, he's what he's, I think he's the highest ranking military official that's ever held president. Right. Um, outside of, outside of Washington. Well, yeah. Outside of Washington as a general, but, um, yeah. within, you know, within the last 150 you yeah, know, years within, ago. within the modern era. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but he, you know, tore apart these big companies and he said, you know, it's not, um, success is an American value, but, but, you know, overzealous greed isn't, it's, you know, rip these people to shreds. Um, and so we really have to start looking at, uh, we have to start looking at, um, some of these companies and saying, Hey, like you guys have to split up. Um, you guys, Comcast, need- we'll start there. Yep. Comcast, you guys, um, Disney, Disney and News Corp, um, Viacom, you can stay. Um, however, Viacom, you have to sell off MTV and MTV. You have to start playing music videos again. Um, yeah, you know, things like that, like News Corp, like, sorry, like you have to separate, uh, you have to start separating Time Warner, Time Warner, you know, media, Verizon, you're okay. Verizon in certain areas might need some, and remember, it's also regional. Monopolies are a regional thing too. Yeah, um, there are certain areas where you can't... it used to be truly national monopolies, no, but that's now the difference. That's what the thing is. If I'm in Pittsburgh, um, I have to get my. I can go. I have to get my. There are certain areas and certain townships I live in where I can get like a Google. Um, internet or something like that, but if I get Google cable, Fiber, yeah. yeah, but if I get um, internet and cable in certain areas, it has to be Xfinity, period. Has to be Xfinity. My energy has to come from Duquesne Electric, which is a private company, and it's a, mm-hmm. it's a profitable country, company. Um, if I enter an area and want to be a competitor, I have to pay Duquesne Light money to run my wires on their poles, and I cannot build my own poles. Um, if you know this is this is like where it gets like to where I'm like monopoly to chat, but I guess that'll be a teaser for next episode of things that we could talk about, and also with some of the more revelations that are kind of coming about the, about this Comey bit because I'm still wanting to see a lot of where it's going to go to. I don't know if he's going to be you know feel scorned. I I think that's a serious consideration. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, especially how. Uh, to be honest, the way he explained it um, in his testimony, I-, I felt some of the conclusions he came to was reasonable. Um, stepping past the you know the prosecutorial you know judgment or not, you know obviously that was a clear no no. Uh, but however, the other steps, it- it's hard not to be in those shoes and and you know appreciate where he was in, what he was faced with. So yeah, and you had actually you. Pinged me something the other day. You had said, also, I didn't realize that Comey was like seven feet tall. Uh, I can't find his height, but he's six eight. He's, I just found it. I googled that's it. That's it. And yeah, he's six Gosh, eight. Everybody's that short. Trump's only like five nine, man. Oh, I guess. I mean, I think most. I may. I don't know. I'm six four. I I see most people being maybe like five ten. I hope. But well, he, I, dude, he looks like Big Bird. 
Dude, he's giant. I'm looking at pictures. He looks like Larry Bird. Fuck, Big Bird. Um, and they say like prosecutorial head. Now I'm thinking like Dumbledore head. Yeah, he's like he's like, <laughs> he's gigantic. I was like, I'm looking at pictures now, and he's like, he's tall. He's super thin though. That's one thing. I think he's only about a buck See, ninety. Didn't, really? He didn't look that thin, but it's also a shoot. So. Oh yeah, all, remember like you put enough you put enough expensive fabric over top of you, everybody looks good. <laughs> yeah. So that I mean, this is this is explains the uh, anomaly. This is I never can explain the anomaly that is Chris Christie of somehow he's managed to lose weight, his pants come up higher, and he somehow looks worse in a suit. Oh, wait. <laughs> hey, I li- I work in New Jersey. I can make fun of him all day long. Yeah, you get a good <laughs> dose of him. Oh man, I, dude, he uh, he's an interesting one. Um, I oh god, driving. You can on- do a quarter life special on Chris Christie. <laughs> I, I had to do it all as a Spruce Springsteen song. Um, oh boy! He and there are more. Oh, this is another the other day, and me talking about just warning out to anybody who's listening to this, whoever listens to this. The next, it's now uh, May of 2017. If you're on any New Jersey major highway, there are cops everywhere doing speed traps every day of the week. Not end of month, not beginning of month. Everywhere, all day, yeah. all day. It's ridiculous. It's absurd. Like, there are emergency, like, highway units that are in those, like, crossing points, the illegal U-turn points, locking them off. Like, it's it's everywhere. I thought there was a car chase going on. There were so many cops everywhere. It was like, That's nope, insane. Nope, just cops everywhere. Anyways, we're at our hour mark, so I think we, should, we need to call it. Sounds good. Previews for next time. So we're in Monopolies, Comey, and uh, I don't know, maybe North Korea, depending. Yeah, we'll we'll go back and revisit North Korea. North Korea seems to be taking a back burner to the current news we have going on. So everybody just needs to relax. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That I agree with that. So, anyways, on that, that note, on that note, we're to say, kick rocks, everyone, and have a safe week. Sounds good. All right. Later. Peace.